Well, good morning. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Brian Legg, and I'm part of our lead pastor team here at TBA. So glad you guys could be here this morning. Super Bowl Sunday, would you believe it's only three weeks away from today? It's coming up fast. And I wanted to share with you about an opportunity that we have. As you were watching this, we're going to be doing something special that day and give you an opportunity as a church to truly live sent. We talk about that all the time, being our, our vision that God has put before us, and we want to keep giving you practical opportunities. And as we talk about this idea of living sent, sometimes living sent looks like going out. It's going and serving in practical ways. It's showing God's love in different ways. Sometimes it's also inviting in, whether it's inviting someone into church or inviting them into your small group or maybe inviting them into your home for dinner. Sometimes it's just even going to dinner with someone, but that's what it looks like to invite people in. So on Super Bowl Sunday in three weeks, we're going to give you an opportunity to do both. So I want to challenge you in two different ways this morning. And the first is this. I want to challenge you to invite your friends that Sunday morning, February 5th, Sunday morning, Super Bowl Sunday. I know everybody's getting ready for the big game that night, but make sure you're at church and you bring your friends with you. It's going to look a little different that day. We're going to have some faith stories from NFL players like you just heard, but we're also going to be sharing parts of our story and talking about how those things go together. And it's a great practical opportunity for us to share the gospel that Sunday morning. And then the second way is this. Be intentional when you're going to Super Bowl parties or when you're hosting your Super Bowl party because the most people across the nation attend this event over everything else to watch the Super Bowl. 90% of them don't even like football, but they still watch the Super Bowl for the commercials or for whatever it is, and you get a great opportunity to connect with people. I've already been challenging your small group leaders about doing a Super Bowl party as a Livson event, so make sure you're talking with your small group leader if you're plugged into a small group. Talk with them about different ways that you all can do that, that you can be intentional. Be praying with them about that. If you're not plugged into a small group, you need to be. So make sure you stop by Next Steps and sign up for that, and you can be a part of that as well. We are intentionally not doing a big Super Bowl party here at the church that night because we want you to live out the vision, to go and live sent in your communities and with your friends and those that you've already built relationship, whether that's your small group or a party you're going to or maybe a party you're hosting. And let me just say this. Don't be weird about it. Just be intentional. The simple things that you say, the simple things, your actions, the simple things you do in building those relationships and connecting with people, those are the ways that they will see God's love through you. So you don't have to be weird about it. Just be intentional. Here's an awesome opportunity. See, here's what I know. Our story and the vision God has given us as a church, they're not ours. They are his. They're God's story, and he has called us to step into his unique story here at TBA. You know, our story as a church has been developing for a little over 60 years when you look back at our, our history and all the things that come together. But God's story has been developing for thousands of years. And we have the opportunity to be able to look back at our church story and to look back at God's story and to see how all of those things play together to help us understand the unique role that we play in his story and how those things have developed. It helps us to understand more about who he is and who we are. So this morning, we're launching a new series. And as you see on the screen, we're, we're jumping into the book of Joshua. And really what we're doing is we're going to explore over the next several weeks a lot of different aspects of this story that help us to understand God's vision and dream for the Israelites and how they stepped into his vision, but also the unique role that we play in that and how we can step into God's story as we continue walking that out for us as well. Joshua is one of many narratives that come out of the Old Testament. And uh, according to the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart, which, just a side note, 
If you do not have that book, it's a great study tool, a great study companion to go with Scripture. Just kind of walks you through, gives you historical context, helps you understand what you're reading, what's going on at that time. It's a great tool to use. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. They also have another one called How to Read the Bible Book by Book. And both of those are great study companions I would encourage you to pick up. But they say this about narratives. It says, narratives are stories, purposeful stories, retelling the historical events of the past that are intended to give meaning and direction for a given people in the present. This has always been so for all peoples and all cultures, and in this regard, the biblical narratives are no different from other such stories. Nonetheless, there's a crucial difference between the biblical narratives and all others, because inspired by the Holy Spirit as they are, the story they tell is not so much our story as it is God's story, and it becomes ours as he writes us into it. The biblical narratives that thus tell the ultimate story, a story that even though often complex, is utterly true and crucially important. Indeed, it's a magnificent story, grander than the greatest epic, richer in plot and more significant in its characters and description than any humanly composed story could ever be. Now, I read that quote to you because I want you to have that context as we dive into this series. And not just this morning and the things we're going to talk about, because today's a little more of an overview, looking at the book of Joshua and where we're going to be going. But I want you to have that context throughout this series, understanding what the narrative is and the purpose behind it. See, Joshua's a narrative that can stand on its own, and it tells the story of God's people stepping into his story for them. But it's also part of a much bigger narrative, telling God's story of redemption. Joshua tells us about the Israelites' journey into the promised land. It tells us about their struggles. It tells us about their victories. It tells us about the pain and the fears that they walked through, but it also tells us about the joys that they experienced. This narrative is written for the purpose of allowing us to see how God leads his people into his story, but again, also for the purpose of helping us understand principles that will help us to step into that same story. And we're going to explore some of those principles today. So we're going to be jumping into Joshua 1 this morning. That's kind of where we're going to camp out. And here's the quick synopsis of what Joshua 1 looks like, just so you're on the same page as we get started. Moses has just died, and now Joshua is stepping into leadership of the Israelite nation. And God is speaking to Joshua, calling him to step up and to lead the Israelites. And he reminds him of the promise that he's given to Moses that carries on to Joshua. And he reminds him of all the things that they are going to be able to accomplish, the promised land that he has given to the people. And then he gives some specific instructions to Joshua about how they're going to go into the promised land. Joshua turns and shares God's message with the Israelite people, and then he calls them to action. And then it wraps up with the Israelite people responding positively, and they commit to follow Joshua and to be obedient to God. So that's chapter 1 in a nutshell, okay? But now I want us to look at some specific things that are really important in the story. And the first is this. We have to understand that this is God's story. He's the initiator. It's his vision, his dream, his plan. Everything about this is his. It is him who gives the vision and makes the promises. Start with me in verse 2. He says this, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. Did you catch what he just said? To lead them into the land I am am giving them. He doesn't talk about how they're going to have to conquer the land or what they're going to have to do or what effort they're going to have to put forth. He says, this is the land I'm giving you. God has already written this part of the story. He's already given the promised land to the Israelites. And then he continues in verses three and four saying, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set foot, you will be on land that I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, 
from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. You will be on the land I have given you. It's clear. It's already decided. The victory's already won. He's giving Israel the land, but then he goes on to paint a very clear picture of what that land looks like. What are the boundaries? Where are you going to move into? What is this promised land that I have given to you? But see, this is the vision that he's put before Israel. And now he's calling them to fulfill it. He's saying, I've already done this for you. I've already paved the way. I've already gone before you, and this is already planned. The story's already written. You just have to step into it and do your part. Don't miss this important point, that God has already given the vision. He's already written this part of the story. He's given them the land. See, I think there's probably way too many of you that are a lot like me, and you get caught in this trap of thinking, we have to pave our own way. We've got to do things a little tougher or be a little stronger or go after it a little more, with a little more determination to be able to accomplish these things. And see, when you read the story and you begin to understand it, you see it didn't depend on Joshua or even the nation of Israel so much as it depended on God. And it's the same with our stories. They don't depend on us nearly as much as they depend on God. Do we have a role? Yes, we have to be obedient. We have to step into that. We have a role we play, but it doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. Let me give you a, a quick example. Most of you know probably that over a year ago, we were, had two modular buildings that were donated to our church, and we set them up on our Highland City Hub property for the purpose of using them in our homework club. Over a year ago, those buildings were donated. We have been trying since that time to get a permit so that we could fix up those modular buildings and use them for our homework club. So for 10 months after those buildings were donated, I've been making phone calls to our contractor and engineer who was working with us to get this set up. I've made phone calls to the county. I've made phone calls to other people. I've gotten advice from other people. We've gone back and forth. I'm telling you, I've driven this guy crazy. For every week, for 10 months, at least every other day, I was making a phone call, asking questions, challenging things, pushing the issue, trying to figure out what was going on and what was taking so long, just back and forth. Some weeks, every day. I'm sure this guy, when he sees my phone number, probably cusses. I mean, it's just, it's been that bad. We've been back and forth, back and forth. So 10 months go by, no permit, doesn't feel like we've made any progress. And let me just, that's not normal. 10 months to pull a permit for something like we're trying to do is not a normal process. So we're in staff meeting one day, we're talking about it, and Brian Stiverson looks at me and he says, quit calling. He said, just quit calling. It's obvious that the obstacles that we've come up against, the struggles that we're facing with this, it must just not be God's timing. There's something else going on. This isn't our issue. It's something outside of our control. Quit calling. Let's just take time and pray about it. Now, I'm going to be really honest with you. I didn't agree with him. In fact, what I'm realizing as I look back is not only was I so worked up trying to make this happen in my own strength, of course, but I had gotten to the point that I was kind of embarrassed that it hadn't happened. In fact, that's probably why you haven't heard a lot about it because I haven't said anything to anybody unless they asked me specifically because I felt like I had dropped the ball and hadn't made it happen. And Brian says this, he goes, just quit calling, just pray about it. I'm thinking, how is that supposed to work? Now, I know I'm your pastor and I'm your leader and I'm supposed to set the example, but I wasn't feeling it that day. I was going, I've been calling this guy every day and you're telling me to quit calling him and all of a sudden it's going to work? It was that afternoon that I was kind of processing that and thinking, and it was like God grabbed my attention. 
and reminded me that I was in the same rut that I get stuck in all the time where I was trying to do it in my strength and my way and push my agenda instead of just trusting God and his timing. So for the last three months or less, we quit calling. I haven't called the contractor one time. I haven't asked any questions. I haven't gone through any process. And in the last two to three weeks, there's been more progress made on getting that permit than there was the entire first 10 months that I drove him crazy every single day trying to get it all sorted out. And we've come to find out that there was a lot more going on in the situation than we had any idea was happening. And so it's starting to come to fruition. So I say all that this morning, one, to say this. I want to apologize to you because I've not shared any information with you. And I'm realizing looking back that really it's just my pride. And I'm sure some of you have experienced this along the way too. I've put my own value into that and, and wanted to accomplish something. So I want to apologize that you haven't heard more information. But the second thing I want to say to you is I want to encourage you to pray with us. Pray with us that God will continue to let those things fall into place and that in his timing, everything will work out and those permits will come through and we'll be able to do what we need to do to get those buildings up and running. Because when I step back and I look at it, I realize everything about Highland City, the hub, the food pantry that happens there, the homework club that's going on, the other ministry that happens in that community, none of that's mine. None of that's even ours. It's God's. It's God's story, not our own. And so we have to trust him with that and we have to walk with him in that. So there's one other really important thing that I want you to realize as we step into this story. And these are kind of like foundational things we need to understand. The first is we have to understand that it's God's story. And the second is this. Verse 5, God says this to Joshua. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you and I will not abandon you. He's basically saying, I'm with you. I won't let you down. He says it again in verse 9 like this. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God says, I'm with you wherever you go. Not only is this God's story, but he takes time to point out to Joshua that he's got his back. You're not in this alone, Joshua. I'm with you. I'm walking with you. I've created this story. I've designed this. I've given you the vision. I've put all this before you, and now I'm walking with you as you walk into it. You can count on me. And I don't know about you, but this is where I get stuck again a lot of times because I do the same thing where I just shared in that story, and I try to do it in my own strength, and I try to do it alone. I walk through it trying to do it my way instead of just depending on God and trusting him and walking with him, knowing that he's willing to walk with me through all of it. It's his plan. He knows how to do it. And yet I'm trying to do it my way. And when I do that, it leaves me tired, frustrated, and often just plain lonely because I'm walking alone in it. But I know and believe that God says the same thing to you and me that he says to Joshua here. In fact, we see it repeated over and over throughout Scripture. God is with us. Even Jesus' very name, Emmanuel, God with us. He's with us. He's walking with us side by side. We can lean on him. We can trust in him. That is the reminder that we need that he is with us. So these are two foundational understandings that we have to have. This is God's story. He's the one who gives the vision, and God is with us as we walk into that story. And if we can hold on to those two simple concepts, I think it prepares our hearts to be able to step into the story that God is writing for us as individuals and as a church family. See, I'm convinced that God has already given us the land, if you want to call it that, just like he did for Israel. He's already put a very clear vision before us to live sin as the hands and feet of Jesus in our community and our world. But how do we do that? 
Where's the roadmap? Where do we start? What's the five-year plan that goes along with that? I mean, maybe you're not all wired like me, but those are the questions I'm always asking. How do we do all of this? What does it look like? How do we get there? And that's one of the reasons I love this narrative. Because when you read through the book of Joshua, you begin to see that God gives them the very clear vision. He's put the promise before them. Here's the land. In fact, they've been wandering around the land for the last 40 years. And now it's time to go into it. And he lays it all out. He clearly defines what you're getting, where you're going to go, where you're gonna t- how you're going to take it. But he doesn't give them all the step-by-step instructions. He just gives them a step at a time. He says, go take the land. And I can only imagine the Israelites are going, yeah, but how? What's that look like? I mean, the Hittites and all these other people already live there. They've got giants in the land. They've got all these things going on. And we're going to explore a lot of those topics over the next several weeks. But God just says, go take the land. And he's asking the Israelites to step out in faith and do that. See, the simple instructions God gives Joshua here in in Joshua 1, I think we can translate into four very simple principles that we can follow that will help us to step into God's story. We take the first principle out of verse 6. It says this, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors, that I would give to them. See, God has appointed Joshua as the leader of his people. And we're going to see over and over throughout the story how when the Israelites follow Joshua, when they're obedient to him and they follow his lead, they're successful in everything they do. But the contrary is also true. When they don't follow, when they're not obedient, when they don't listen to what Joshua has to say, we see how they fail miserably and they don't accomplish all that God set before them. They don't accomplish all of the vision that he has put there. See, Joshua was the way that Israel heard from God. He was their mediator or their priest. God spoke through Joshua to Israel. You and I don't have to have a Joshua because we have Jesus. Jesus came and went to the cross for you and I, and he paved the way so that we could have direct communication with God. We no longer need that priest or mediator in between us. Now we can speak directly to our Heavenly Father. And so instead of following Joshua, we're following Jesus. Follow the leader. Be obedient to him. And that's our first principle. We must follow the leader, Jesus. We must trust in him. We must depend on him. This even goes back to all the foundation that I was just giving you, that we have to trust that God has already gone before us. He's already written the story. He's already put that vision there, and he's walking with us in it, and we can trust in him. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it our own way. We have to do it his way. We have to be obedient to him. And that leads us directly into our second principle that we see throughout the book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Now we just read this phrase in verse 6, and it's repeated again in verse 7, where it says, be strong and very courageous. And then we see it again in verse 9 that we read a minute ago. And each time, God is saying it to Joshua. But then we see it again in verse 18, at the very end of chapter 1, where the people are replying to Joshua, and they are saying it back to him. And it's like God's confirming in that moment, be strong and courageous. This is what I'm calling you to as a leader. This is what I'm calling you to as my people. Be strong and courageous. You'll see this theme run throughout the whole story, this whole series that we do. You'll see this over and over and over. And I believe that God says the same thing to us. Be strong and courageous. Walk in faith. Trust in God. You're going to come up against some obstacles, some big obstacles, some scary stuff, but be strong and courageous when you come up against those things because I'm walking with you. Put your trust in me as you follow the leaders. You follow Jesus. Don't be afraid because God's already promised the land. Just trust and walk in faith. How many times do we come up against obstacles in our lives 
and we turn and run in fear instead of turning to God in faith. It's just too hard. I can't get past that. I can't do that. See, this is one of those principles that I think is difficult for us because when things don't go the way we see them going or the way we think that they should go, our tendency is to question God's plan or even to back up and go, did I hear him right? Is that really the vision God put before me? Is that really the promise that he gave me? Because I don't see that working out the same way. I don't see the whole map. I don't see the plan laid out before me. But even when it doesn't make sense to us, it makes sense to God. His ways are higher than our ways. He sees things differently than we see them. He has a perspective that we can never have. That's why it's faith. It's choosing to believe even when we can't see clearly. Let me give you another quick example. More than 20 years ago, there was a church on the north side of Lakeland that they felt God had called them to relocate. And they were wanting to relocate into the South Lakeland area. And, and there was a, a group of men who came together and they were assigned the task of finding the new property that they were going to build on and to relocate the church. And they spent time praying about it and seeking and searching and researching all the area and trying to figure out what that looked like. And they felt called to this one particular property on 540A. And they prayed about it and they just knew that was the property that God had laid out for them. And so they pursued it and they went about it and they, they offered all kinds of different deals and they went back and forth and it just seemed like over and over the door got closed on that. And there was no option. There was no possibility of them buying that property. And they didn't understand. And at the same time, interestingly, there was a door that opened on a piece of property over on Lakeland Highlands Road. And so they began to explore that and as they stepped back and, and they prayed about it, they felt like they were being obedient to build on that property on Lakeland Highlands but they were still struggling with the disappointment of God called us to this 548 property. What, you know, what's going on here? What's the deal? But they made a choice in that moment to trust and to trust that God's plan just looked a little different. And so they were obedient and they built on that piece of property. Well, see, you and I look back now at that story as it unfolded and we realize God had a much bigger plan because that church that was relocating is one of the churches that became TBA and became this church. And so the church that met there on the corner of Clubhouse and Lakeland Highlands Road for several years, there was a bigger story unfolding where two churches merged and God worked through that and created a brand new church with a brand new vision and took us in a new direction. And guess where we landed? Right here on that same property on 540A where those guys were praying about over 20 years ago. God had that plan. He did put it on their heart. That property was very real, but it wasn't the right timing. And see, sometimes when there's a little twist or turn in the journey that we take, we step back again and we go, well, God, are you really in this? Did I hear you right? Is this really the promise you put before us? And sometimes he just wants us to trust in that one simple step of faith. Here's what I'm laying before you. Be obedient. Walk. Take that step and see how I play this out. See how it works out for you. Be strong and courageous. Live by faith, not by sight. If we keep reading in the story, verses 7 and 8 go on to reveal a third principle to us. It says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Meditate on God's word day and night. This is our third principle. Meditate on God's word day and night. God's very clear in his instruction to Joshua here. He says, follow all of the instructions that I've given to Moses. 
Study the book of instruction. Study my word so that you understand me and understand the story that's unfolding. You understand what I want for you. And it's how he reveals himself to us. It's through his word. I want you to pay careful attention to the wording that's chosen here. It says, be careful to obey all the instructions. Don't deviate from them. Don't turn to the right or the left. Obey them all. See, too many times I have difficult conversations with people who want to pick and choose what they're going to believe. It never tells us that. We're told that, that God's word is, is God-breathed, that it's designed to be inspiration to help us find our way, that everything is helpful to us in the development of our character and the development of our walk with him. We need to follow all the instructions, every single thing that's in there, being true to it. The easy stuff and the hard stuff. And I want you to notice what God goes on to say to Joshua here two different times. He says, then you will be successful in everything you do. And then in the next verse it says, only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. See, I read this and I go, this is really a conditional principle. If we want to really be part of God's story, if we want to be successful in living out his dreams for us, then we must be in his word. Both day and night, regularly, often, studying his instructions for our lives, living in obedience to those instructions. I could go on and on about this because I can't even truly begin to stress the importance of it. We have to be in his word, understanding who he is, understanding who we are, understanding how he's created us, understanding how his story unfolds in our lives. You have to pick up his word and read it. Meditate on it regularly. This is how we grow and learn and find God's instructions for our lives. And here's a news flash. This doesn't work by osmosis. Those of you who love to set your Bible on the nightstand when you go to bed at night so that you can be in God's Word, doesn't happen that way. You've got to pick it up. You have to read it so that you understand it. You've got to study it. You've got to dig into it. Make it a priority. Meditate on his word and be obedient to those things. The last principle I want to talk about this morning is found in the last section of this chapter. And in verse 10, the story kind of shifts. Up to this point, God's been speaking to Joshua. He's given him the command about everything that he's going to do and the promises that are going to be fulfilled. And around verse 10, you see the shift to where Joshua is now speaking to the Israelite people. And he's speaking to all the leaders of the tribes. And he's telling them, go and tell the people... We're going to cross the Jordan River in three days. Get them ready so we can go. We're going to go and possess the land, take the promised land that God has given to us. But then he goes on specifically to communicate to the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And see, here's where the story gets a little interesting. Those three tribes were already in the promised land. They had already been given their allotment of land on the east side of the Jordan. And so all of Israel right now is camping out in their part of the promised land. And Joshua calls them off to the side and he talks to them again and he reminds them of what Moses has already said to them, to say, we're in this together, we're walking together, and you've made a promise and a commitment that you're going to walk with your brothers into the promised land and help us to defeat the rest of the land before you come back and settle on your allotment. So yeah, you've already got your place, you can sit down here and rest, but you're not going to. You need to walk with us and help us to conquer the land. And I think it leads into this principle, our fourth principle. We must walk together in unity. We must walk together in unity. Joshua's making it clear here. We're one nation, one people, one family. We are in this together. All the other tribes helped you to get here and get your part of the land. You need to help us get the rest of the land. Nobody rests until we all rest. And I can't emphasize enough how important this is for us. We must, we must walk in unity. 
We are called over and over in Scripture to do life together, to carry one another's burdens, to celebrate together, to hold one another accountable, to love one another, to work together for united purpose. And I would be so bold as to say this. This church family will never accomplish the vision that God has set before us unless we are united in purpose and in love for one another. We will never be able to accomplish the dream and the vision God has put before us unless we are united in purpose and in love for one another. And I'm not talking about the kind of love that smiles and shakes a hand at the front door. Because that's great. We all need that too. But I'm talking about a love that goes much deeper than that. I'm talking about the kind of love that cares enough to get our hands dirty and serve side by side in the fun assignments and in the tough ones, in the ugly ones. I'm talking about love that goes beyond the surface in relationship and is willing to ask the hard questions and sit in the hard moments when things don't make sense and you don't understand what's going on or how God could be working in that moment. I'm talking about love that's willing to risk wounding a friend in order to make sure that they grow. I'm talking about love that cares more about doing what's best for the other person than it cares about being right in a situation. Real love beneath the surface, deep, walking together, doing life together. See, these three tribes that Joshua was speaking to, they've already been assigned their allotment. They've got their land, and they're faced with the choice. Am I going to stand true to my word, and am I going to go and fight with my brothers to conquer the rest of the land, or am I going to stay here and relax and rest in what I've already accomplished? They choose obedience. They declare their obedience to Joshua's leadership and God's plan, and they commit to walk in unity with their brothers to accomplish God's vision for Israel. The very last verse of chapter 1, verse 18, wraps the story up like this. Does anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words and everything you command will be put to death. So be strong and courageous. This is the three tribes, their leaders, speaking to Joshua. Anyone who rebels against your orders, anybody who doesn't follow what you say, Joshua, they're going to be put to death. So be strong and courageous. Basically, they're saying, we'll follow you to the gates of hell and back, and on top of that, we'll take care of anybody that doesn't stand up to their promise. Now, I'm not suggesting that we take this as a literal principle and kill anyone who's not standing in unity with us. Although, if I'm being honest, there's moments that seems easier. I mean, y'all have been there, right? When people don't line up and they're not walking the direction you know you need to walk, it'd be easier just to kind of push them out. I'm not suggesting that. But I also don't want us to glance over this because I think this is really, really important. What this verse is saying to us is that we collectively, we, all of us, this church family, every single person here who claims that they are following Christ and has aligned themselves with the vision of TBA that God has put before us, we carry the responsibility of making sure that we are walking in unity. It means that we are holding our brothers and sisters accountable, and when you see someone who's not walking in the vision or they've gotten off track, you love them enough to go to them and talk to them and help redirect and help bring them back on path. It means that when there's someone who's needing grace and mercy, that you're there to extend that. And that's not just my job, and thank God it's not, because mercy and compassion are not my greatest gifts. So if you're counting on me, you're going to be in trouble. But we've got a lot of people who are very good at that in our church family. So it is important that we, together, collectively, our church family, hold each other accountable, walk with each other, extend that grace, extend that compassion, make sure that we are walking in unity together. It's not just the job of our staff, our other pastors, our ministry directors, our lay leaders. It's all of our responsibilities. We have to be doing it together. 
When you see your brother or sister in need, or you see someone causing a disturbance or a distraction from the vision God has called us to, you're responsible to reach out to that brother or sister and walk with them. You are responsible. We're in this together. Unified as one body, walking in one direction. Band, you guys can go ahead and come up. And as they do, I want to just wrap up the key things that we've uncovered today. Kind of put it in a nutshell again. The first thing, very simple, and this is the foundation. This is God's story. It's his vision, his dream that's unfolding. We get to be a part of it. And even as we're part of it, God is walking with us. He doesn't leave us alone to figure it out on our own. He doesn't leave us to figure out all the next steps. He gives it to us a step at a time. All we have to do is walk in faithful obedience. And when we understand that and we've established that, then I think there are four principles we pull from the story that are so important for us to understand. First, we must follow the leader. We have to be obedient. We have to be following Jesus. If we're not following him, what's the point? We may as well close the doors and go home because we've missed it. We must follow the leader, follow the leading that Jesus is giving us as a church. We have to be strong and courageous. We've got to walk in it in faith. We can't get scared every time we hit an obstacle, every time we run into a giant and come up against something that we don't understand or don't think we can get beyond. Those are the moments where our faith has to become real and we trust in him. We have to meditate on God's word regularly, every day, day in and day out, day and night, constantly spending time to go back to his word and allow him to speak into our lives and give us direction. And then we have to be walking together in unity. Don't let your brother or sister down. Walk hand in hand. Love them. Encourage them. Hold them accountable. Love them enough to say the hard things. See, if we can hold to these four things, I really, really believe that we'll begin to experience the victorious nature of God's great story of redemption and we'll begin to experience the vision unfolding for his church. He's already given us the vision. He's already given us the promised land. He's already told us. We just have to be obedient and walk into it a step at a time. But these four things are going to be required for us to do that. So this morning, here's how you can respond. As you've listened to these things, if, if you read this or you, you hear these things and you think about it and you go, I'm, I'm not really sure what God's vision is for my life. or I'm not really sure what that dream looks like or how I plug into the story. I would encourage you to come back to the next steps and talk to us. I'll be back there. Tim and Joni are there. Probably we'll have some others back there, but we'd love to be able to ask you some questions, to pray with you, to kind of give you some guidance, to help you understand how you step into that story and what that looks like. And maybe for you, you're sitting here this morning and going, well, I don't really know what that story looks like or how I get involved because I've never chosen to follow Christ. We'd love to pray with you about that too because that's where it starts. That's how you initially step into God's story is just committing your life to Christ. You don't have to do anything special You don't have to say anything special. Just come as you are and allow him to speak to your heart. Ask him to forgive your sins and commit to walking with him and start a new journey. And we would love to pray with you about that as well. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to play. And I would encourage you to respond as God leads your heart. But come back and talk to us the next step so we can pray with you and help you to take those steps. Would you stand? And let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning and thank you again for how you speak to our hearts and how you continually are giving us opportunity to step into your story. And God, it's just so exciting to to be able to be reminded of your story and how your story has been unfolding for thousands of years and, and all the different pieces and parts that play into that. And God, to be able to look back across history and just see all the intricacies of that story that you have woven in and how even now you're weaving us into that story. And we play such a huge role and a part of that. And we have the opportunity to be a part of your story. 
God, I pray that you would help us to hear these principles that we've shared this morning, to, to understand this foundation that we've cast, to see the greatness of your story and the, the privilege that we have to be a part of that, to know that you're walking with us, and then to see how we plug into that and live that out. God, speak to our hearts now, and may we, may we just hear the whisper of your voice in this moment. May our hearts be still before you, listening for you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.